Well, good morning. Welcome to Clayton Community Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brad, and I'm filling in for Pastor Craig this week as he's, I don't know, gallivanting around the world doing whatever it is pastors do on their week off. Um, uh, so today, we celebrate Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, which is mentioned in John chapter 12. We're not going to be in John chapter 12. We're, <laughs> we're going to be in John chapter 11 instead. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to John 11, uh, starting at verse 1. You know, the meat of what I felt led to talk about today is in verse 35. Jesus wept, as you can see, uh, uh, but I'm going to cover the whole chapter, so uh, get comfortable. Uh, so while you're turning there, just to set the scene a little bit, uh, Jesus has just fled the temple again uh, because the Jews wanted to stone him to death again uh, for claiming to be God. Again. Chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Uh, so, and now we're going to dive right into uh, verse 1, but before we do, uh, let's pray. Father God, hallowed be your name. You're so good, so merciful, we just can't thank you enough. Uh, I pray that you'll give me the, the courage and boldness and clarity of mind to... Uh, speak the words that you have me to speak today, uh, that it be edifying, that it build us up, uh, encourage, uh, most of all, may you be glorified in it. We love you, and pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dig right in. Verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Okay, we got that. So uh, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, they're siblings. Uh, this is the same, just as it just got through reading, this is the same Mary in the next chapter, chapter 12, the one we're not talking about today, uh, uh, where she anoints the feet of Jesus with expensive ointment wipes his feet with her hair, and, you know, Judas is upset about it because he could have sold that for a bunch of money, and he's skimming off the top, so, you know, he's not able to line his pockets with that. Uh, this is also the same Mary and Martha in an earlier story, uh, Luke 10, where Martha, uh, I remember when Martha is busy uh, working and serving, and Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus and, and uh, not helping out at all. And so Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but the one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. All right, that is a whole sermon in and of itself, obviously, but uh, uh, I'm just mentioning it because it is a familiar story, kind of to help bring it all together. So and that's, that's the Mary and Martha we're talking about. All right, verse 3. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, here Jesus not only implies that Lazarus will live, but also why this is all happening. You know, 
why he has become sick, why he will die, uh, why he will be raised from the dead, uh, you know, so that God may be glorified through it. You know, huge takeaway for us, right, that the, the reason we might be allowed to go through something, a low, which is used more often, I think, in an in example from a pastor, but also the highs. Um, whether you're in a, a hard time or a very good time, mountaintop or valley, uh, it's to bring glorified, we're, we're to bring glory to God through our lives. You know, that's what Philippians 4.13 is all about. Uh, for I have learned in whatever situation I, I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if we were to put a book together of verses that are used out of context often, this one would definitely make the cut, right? It, it, this isn't saying, okay, we got a basketball game tonight. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's not what it's talking about here. You know, I'm here to glorify God. So whether I'm flying high on that mountaintop or I'm in the valley and, and life is just really stinking, God will equip me with everything needed to accomplish through my life what he wills. Okay, I'm going to read that again. God will equip me with everything needed to accomplish through my life what he wills. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Okay, bank that verse for later, knowing that will come in handy. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. What? Wait, What? He loves him, he loves him, he's really sick, he needs him, but he's going to wait two days longer. Well, go back to verse 4. Why is he doing that? Well, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. He has a plan, and waiting two more days is part of that plan. Um, and turning around and going right back to the place he just left to avoid being killed, being stoned to death, is also part of that plan. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What is that all about? Well, that is... Uh, it has to do with walking in the will of God um, that, and being confident that God will protect and provide because you're abiding in him. You know, they're walking with him in the light as opposed to walking without him in the dark. Okay? In other words, Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Okay? Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. This part's just funny to me. I mean, really? He's, we're going to rescue him from taking a nap? Um, I love you all, but if I'm taking a nap, you don't need to rescue me. I'm good. Verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, 
said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Hey, Jesus is telling them that he's glad for their sake uh, because they're about to witness a miracle. I mean, like grade A, top, they're going to see a dead guy come to life. Okay? So, so he's glad for them because this is going to be like a massive uh, adrenaline shot to their faith, right? Um, and then Thomas, this is doubting Thomas, so let us, let us go that we may die with him. Well, again, they're going back to where they just left to avoid being stoned to death. So in his mind, it's like, it's a suicide mission. Like, okay, we'll go, we'll go die with you. Uh, verse 17. Sorry, we, we are fl- flying through this because it is a whole chapter, and what I want to focus on, like I said, was in verse 35. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's what it all boils down to, right? That eternal question. Uh, I heard a, uh, a quote from Jordan Peterson. Uh, I'll let you Google him if you don't know who he is. Um, but it was just spot on, nail on the head. And his quote is about what true belief is. He said, belief is not the statement of agreement with a set of facts but the willingness to act something out, to become something, to stake your life on something. Okay? So in other words, it isn't me coming up here and presenting a list of what it means to be a Christian. Okay? It isn't me saying, okay, Jesus died, he was buried, third day he rose again, and then he was seen. And you're going, oh, okay, I believe that. You know, and sticking a post-it note on it. Say, sure, yeah, I believe that, check. Okay, that's not belief. Belief is something you stake your life on. And everybody believes in something, right? Everybody believes in something, and whatever you believe is going to manifest itself in your life. It, 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 it's going to dictate how you live. It's going to dictate it, it, the choices you make. It's going to shape your worldview. Uh, anything short of that is not belief, and you know, it's similar to priorities. And I think I mentioned this before that I stole from, I think, James McDonald. He said, if you want to know what your priorities are, look at two things, your calendar and your checkbook. I mean, you can fool yourself, and you can fool other people, but you can't lie about that. So where you spend your time, and for you younger kids who have no idea what a checkbook is, it's where you spend your money, <laughs> okay? And, it's, and belief is the same thing. It's, it's the same principle in that, like, what you really believe, you're going to live that way. Okay, and that's what Jesus is asking Martha here. Uh, do you believe? And it's a, pretty much the same question he asked Peter in Matthew 16 when he asked Peter, but who do you say that I am? Same question he asked each and every one of us. Do you believe? Who do you say that I am? 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, would, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you believe this? 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Do you believe this? Verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Good answer. When she had said this, she went on and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but it was still... He, Sorry, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus wept. And it's not just the answer to a Bible trivia question, right? Like, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? It's also probably one of the deepest verses. I, I, I encourage you on your own time by yourself, sit and meditate on that and just think of all that goes with those two words. You know, in preparation for my last sermon, which was almost exactly a year ago to the day, uh, I was preaching on John 9. And I read through the whole book of John in preparation for that. And when I got to this verse, I just stopped. I had no intention of that. I, I wasn't meaning to study it or meditate it at all. Just God just stopped me. And just let the weight of those two words sink in a little bit. And really, this, this sermon was born out of that one. It's, it just, that in and of itself was a pretty powerful moment for me. And it brought to mind an experience I had, uh, one of the most powerful experiences of my life that I have shared with very, very few people. And uh, I've almost shared it multiple times from the pulpit, and I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. But this time, I almost chickened out this time too, but my wife said... Uh, because you know, a year ago, when this came up, I said, I think I'm supposed to share this testimony. And, and then, uh, like, two days ago, I was like, I don't know, maybe I should cut it just for time. And it's like, no. <laughs> you cut something else if you got to cut it. Like, okay. Um, so anyway, I'll just get right into it. I was meeting a friend of mine for lunch. Uh, I don't need notes for this part. I was meeting a friend of mine for lunch in Spokane. Uh, his name's Bobby Moore. Maybe some of you know him. He's a, he's a pastor of a church uh, in Spokane, and uh, he was the pastor of the college-age youth group that uh, 
I went to, what, 20-some years ago. It's where I met my wife. It's where I was saved. Uh, so, and he was in my wedding, so needless to say, he's a, he's a pretty profound figure in my, in, my, in my walk. And so I was meeting him for lunch, working from home in, in Loon Lake, drove all the way to Spokane to meet him for lunch. And as I'm pulling into the parking lot, I see a homeless couple uh, with a dog. And, uh, and, and as you know, if you've been to there's no shortage of, of homeless people in Spokane. But this time, it, it, God made it really clear I was supposed to talk to him. I mean, like I couldn't not see him. So I went in and I parked. And to me, that just meant I was going to go over and give him some money. That's it. And that's about it. That's, that's all I thought it was going to be. I walk over to him, and uh, he got his head down. He's like, hey, can I, can I help you with something? Can I, you know, can I buy you lunch? Can I give you some money? He said no. <laughs> Imagine that. He goes, and, and not mean. He was he just like, no, we're, we're good. We, we, we already ate. And that wasn't, it wasn't good enough because I knew God sent me over there for something. And so, I mean, I actually pressed him. Like, are, are you sure? I mean, can I, nothing. And he goes, well... I guess we're trying to raise up enough money that uh, so we can stay the night at the motel over here. And he said, I think we're about 10 bucks short. And like, okay, I can help you with that. So I'm going to go get some cash. I'll be right back. So I went to the place where we're going to eat lunch and just, hey, I never, ever carry cash. So if anybody, if, you, if you're thinking about lifting my wallet, you're not going to find anything. Uh, so I don't have cash on me. I go into the restaurant and say, hey, I don't have cash. Can I do like, can I swipe the car and do like a cash back thing or something? I want to help these people over here. And and he goes, no, we don't, we don't do that, but there's an ATM next door. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go next door. Well, next door is a pot shop, and uh, it's my first and only time in a pot. And I'm, st- I'm old enough that it's still, like, that was a felony not that long ago, right? But now, now I can just walk into this. Anyway. anyway, so I go in there, and as soon as I open the door, it's like, yep, there's a pot shop. <laughs> and went and pulled, my, pulled the, oops. Oh, I knew something's gonna happen. Now you can see how agile I am. So I went and pulled cash, pulled out twenty bucks, and was walking out. And that's God's like. I could feel God saying, "No, no, that, that that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm calling you to do here." Like, and then I knew, like, okay, I'm supposed to go over there and you know, share the gospel. Do I? And, uh, and now I'm nervous, and my anxiety level, just I'm, I'm overthinking everything. I'm scared. I'm, just put it out there on the table. I am an elder at the time. That was my first year as an elder, and I'm straight up chickening out. Okay? I am chickening out. I'm out in front of the pot shop holding 20 bucks, pacing back and forth. <laughs> I am I'm literally, so if anybody's watching, they're like, man, dude, this dude's tweaking out. Because I'm pacing back and forth, kind of probably talking to myself, because I do that, and I'm just, I, I, so I, I, it's getting worse and worse. But then I have this idea, you know, like, Bobby's a professional. Like, I mean, he's been a pastor, and at that point in time, he's been a pastor for 25 years probably, and he's going to be here any second. So I'm like, I'll just wait till he gets here. Wait till he gets here. I'll, I'll tell him what's going on. We'll both go over together. I'll let him handle the talking. Win, 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 right? Uh, and it wasn't like seconds after that. And I get a text from Bobby, telling me that he's going to be 10 to 15 minutes late. Coincidence, right? That's, that's coincidence. 
no. Uh, side note, we as Christians, we don't believe in coincidence, okay? We don't believe in luck. We believe in divine providence. We believe in a God that's in control, and that was no accident. So now, there goes my anxiety level again, and back to Payson's like, well, I can't, I can't stall for 10, 15 minutes, so I just start walking over there, and I'd like to tell you that I had worked up the nerve to talk to him, and I had got my resolve to, no, I'm still checking it out, totally. So I walk over to him, thinking I'm just going to hand him the money, and walk away, and walk over to him, and they're still sitting on the curb, and um, I don't like talking down at people, especially, especially when they're already, you know, down, you know what I mean? So I, I, I squat down like it was a little easier back then, and I hold the money out, and he's not taking the money. He's not taking the money. It's weird, and I held it out there for long enough, it's like my arm even started to get tired. So I pulled the money back, and I don't know if I small talked with him or something, but just, it wasn't much time went by, and I, I held the money back out there again, and this time, you know, he uh, hesitantly accepted it. And so I thought, oh, that's it. I'm standing up. I'm standing up. I'm going to walk away. And I stand up and I hear the Holy Spirit just saying, tell him. I'm still chickening out. I turned to walk away and I took like one step with my back to him. And the Holy Spirit said, tell him. And it wasn't audible, but honestly, it wouldn't have been any louder if it was. It was, I don't even know how to, in my spirit, it was so loud and so forceful, it literally, physically startled me. And I turned around, and, and just, it wasn't even a thought, it was just in reaction to being startled. I turned around, looked at him, and said, do you know Jesus? And, this is why I don't like to share this stuff. <laughs> and he looked at me for the first time. Eyeball to eyeball. And, I'll never forget his eyes, and I'll never forget what he said. Now, I've, I've talked to homeless people. You know, I'm not, I'm not like the Mother Teresa or anything, but I've talked to a lot of homeless people, and I've seen the tweakers and the lips smacking and the rotten teeth and the garbage, the, the, the gas can hair around, and you know they're full of it. This guy's sober. This guy's sober. He looks me in the eye. After I asked if he knew Jesus, he said, yeah, but he's kind of treating me like crap right now. Only he didn't say crap, but I'll let you fill in the blank. And I, I've, I've never seen brokenness like that before, ever. You know, that's, I mean, this is real, but that's just raw. And, I mean, there's no training can, 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 can equip you for that. Uh, I just, I've never, ever seen broken, and I, I, I can't get it out of my head, you know. I think about it all the time, all the time. So I can't walk away now. So I went back to him, and, uh, and he proceeded, and then he went on to tell me that, he just, that they just lost their 12-year-old son. No home, no job. Fix that, Elder Brad. And you know what my, my great counsel was as an elder of a church? 
I didn't read one scripture to him, not one. I just looked and I said, life sucks. And it's hard and it hurts. And I don't know why this happened. But I know that God loves you. And that's about all I can remember saying. As I did a lot of listening. And, the fir- and, this, and for the first time, she looked up at me. because I mean, she's just head down. It's kind of embarrassing how we treat people as a country. It's... I won't forget that experience ever. So I asked if I could pray with him. And uh, he said yes and actually like meant it, like welcomed it. And I put my hand on his shoulder. Now, normally, when you put your hand on somebody's shoulder, especially if it's a stranger, they tense up a little bit, right? I know I do. Not His name was John. Her name was Becky. Put my hand on John's shoulder. And he actually, you could, I could just feel him. I mean, he was just so welcomed, so long overdue, I don't know. And I prayed for him, said my goodbyes, and then started walking back to, to where I was meeting Bobby for lunch. And I didn't, I'm literally, it's only 20 yards to where we're eating lunch, and I'm walking, and as soon as I start walking back to the restaurant, here comes Bobby pulling in. You know, perfect, perfect timing. More coincidence, right? So I sit, and we have, don't tell my boss, but we had a long lunch. I mean, like an hour and a half lunch. And we had our lunch and walk out through the doors, and as I'm walking out to my car, John comes up to me to shake my hand, thank me again, and to let me know that he got the room. I gave him 20 bucks. You couldn't buy that from me for a 20 million. So why am I telling you all this? Well, <laughs> one, because I felt like I had to. It's been a lot easier not to. Uh, but God gives us deeper insight into his word. He gives us deeper insight into his person, his personality. Uh, it brings us into a closer relationship to him through life experiences, through your life experiences, but also through other people's life experiences. That's why we want people giving testimonies up here when they want to become members. It, it's, it's for everybody. It's encouraging. It lifts us up. And it's just that brings, it's, it, it's, doesn't, it can't contradict the word, right? It can't contradict what God says in his word, but it can amplify it. It can add to it, like, it, or, not add to it. You know what I mean, right? You know, it's, it's like when you read that God loves you. you know, it's, it's different to read that and to know it than it is to actually experience it, right? It, it, it's one thing to know a promise from God, like I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's one thing to know it, one thing to memorize it, and like that's really cool, but it's another thing when your whole world comes crashing down and you're desperately hanging on to that promise just to make it through another day, Okay? Now, all of a sudden, that means a whole, now you, and not only does it mean a lot more, like you're living it, you can look back after you get through that and say, he didn't leave me, and he didn't forsake me. And that's, and that's what this experience was for me. And it didn't just give me more insight into this verse, but also into his, his will for us, his love for us, uh, beyond head knowledge. You know, he, he showed me. And I wanted to talk about three of those things. Uh, that I hope will be an encouragement to you, three of those things he showed me. One is, yes, God loves everyone. John three sixteen for God so loved the world. But the love that Jesus has for his people, his flock, his friends, 
It's at a different level. You know, it's not the same. We, I hope we all are, but we as in human beings, we as in people, we are not all children of God. We're not. The John 1.12 teaches only those who receive him did he give the right to be called children of God. So back to the text. This, Jesus is fully aware that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, he said so in verse 11. But he wept. Why? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, so why wouldn't he just tell everyone to just relax? You know, chill out, relax, stop crying, I got this, no... You know, basically, why didn't he do what he did in, in Mark chapter 5 when he raised the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus from the dead? And I want to read that for context. More scripture never hurts. Mark 5, verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. Fast forward to verse 35. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what he said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he heard it, when, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are, you weeping and, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's... Sorry, took the... Let me start over. And they, look, and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know, know this and told them to give her something to eat. And that's, that's a kid, and he didn't weep then. He even downplayed it. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? So what's the difference between that situation and the one with Lazarus? The difference is these were his people, his followers, his friends. These were his peeps, yo. And his people that he loves deeply were hurting badly. And his love for his people, his friends, was so great, it hurt him to the point that he wept. It hurt him to the point that he wept. Even though, even though he knew he would have Lazarus walking out of that tomb in no time. In John 15, 14, Jesus says, You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You are my friends. It is important to point out that God allowed Lazarus to die. To bring glory to the Son of God. 
He allowed Lazarus to die, and he allowed the pain and the suffering of the people that he loves. But he didn't allow it at a distance. He wasn't aloof. Okay? He wasn't just letting it happen. He was right there with them, weeping with them. So if you're one of his, and I hope you are, that is a picture of the love that he has for you. He's with you. He loves you. Second thing is that love that Jesus has for his people is personal. Jesus weeping because of the pain of his friends, that's personal. His love for me, his love for you, it's personal. He's not just loving us collectively as his followers, you know, like, like a famous person loves their fans. He knows and loves you. And anybody who's given their, Christ, their life to Christ knows this. It's very personal. There's a, a, a powerful scene in the series The Chosen that we've been going through in our Koinonia groups. I'm going to break from the sermon here for a second to plug this. Uh, we're, we're, we're not doing it this month. We're going to start up again next month. Uh, and we're going through this series, The Chosen, and it's, abs- it's incredible. And if you haven't been partaking in that, I really, really encourage you to join us. Great food, great fellowship, uh, amazing, powerful uh, series and discussion afterward. I, I, I promise you, you won't regret it if you join us. So please do. All right, back to the sermon. Well, there's a powerful scene in there uh, that's so far my favorite. And, and that's, that's the scene where Jesus calls Matthew in there. Uh, it's when he looks right into the eyes of Matthew. You know, that evil tax collector looks him right into the eye and says, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And that's what it's like for us. You know, it isn't a group chat. It's one-on-one, baby. Uh, he gets in your business. He invades your space, looks you right into your spiritual eyeball and says, follow me. Third thing, and this is probably has more to do with my experience than it does this verse, but I really felt led to share it anyway. He showed me one of the reasons why we are called to share the gospel. Not just that we're supposed to do it, but just but he gave me one of the whys to that. And it might sound silly to some of you, but I, you know, that's, that's something I've struggled with, and I know I'm not alone. You know? In other words, if, if God already knows who he's going to save, if he's already chosen, then... Why does he need us to do anything? You know, he's already chosen. You know, why the Great Commission? Seems like a waste of time and effort, doesn't it? If he's already chosen, you know, couldn't he get the gospel message to the people he's chosen some other way? Absolutely he could. He doesn't need us for anything. He could have wrote it in the sky. I don't know, he could have did something crazy, like speak through a burning bush or something. Reach people in their dreams, put somebody on their face in a road to Damascus kind of way. So why ask us? Well, the reason that God showed, showed me is very similar to why he asked us to give generously. It's for us. You get that? You're called to go share the gospel because it's for you to do that. It benefits you. It blesses you. Let me tell you, as flawed as I was when I talked to John and Becky in the parking lot that day, as far as I fell short, 
just the fact that I did it afterwards. The, the overwhelming feeling of joy and encouragement and, and, and purpose. I was walking on air. I mean, I was walking on air. And boy, if you haven't felt that, I sh- you're missing out. So why does he want to spread the gospel through us? To bless us. Because being allowed to be part of the process, to be used at all by God to bring somebody to the gospel, it's not just a privilege, but it's an overwhelming joy. All right, back to the, back to the text. Verse 38. And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, there was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? How often do we miss the glory of God due to our unbelief? How many miracles have we missed out on? How often do we miss seeing the hand of God work because we're, we're too busy or too distracted? As Pastor Vody Bauckham would say, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Uh, I mean, he, and I'm not casting stones from a glass house, I promise you, because I am the chief of sinners when it comes to that. 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. Let him go. Just, a, just mad, put yourself there. Imagine how that would have felt. Going from just the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And this isn't just some unexplainable healing or a beating the odds kind of thing, right? He's dead. Game over. He's dead. Four days dead. And they didn't have embalming fluid or anything back then. So like Martha said, there would have been an odor. This is decomposing corpse dead. But Jesus brought him back to life, fully restored, and not not some kind of zombie or something. I mean, he's 100% restored. And in the next chapter, chapter 12, the one we're not talking about today, he's sitting around lounging at the dinner table, chatting it up with everybody. This is the picture of salvation. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our sin, God made us alive together with Christ. Before Jesus, before you were a Christian, and I hope you are, before Jesus, you weren't just sick and not doing too well, you know, and not living your best life kind of thing. When Christ saved me, he didn't just make me a better person or give me a better life. He took a dead guy and he made him alive, okay? And only God can do that. Dead people can't raise themselves. Remember that with ministry. Remember that when we're, we're praying to reach lost people. You think you're going to word something the right way to win them? I mean, you're, you're trying to raise a dead guy to life, a dead woman to life. You, you, how you, good luck with that. Good luck with that apart from God. 
You can't do that. Okay, verse 45, and we're just going to power through to the end. Thanks for your patience. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Pharisees are so blinded by religion and tradition that they can't see what's right in front of them. Here he is, the Messiah, performing miracles and fulfilling prophecy left and right, exactly who the scriptures bore witness to. The same scriptures these people have dedicated their lives to, the same scriptures that they have memorized. You know, it's not like Jesus is out doing card tricks on the street corner here, you know. He's, he's giving sight to blind people. He's healing paralytics. He's healing lepers. He's bringing dead people to life. And they still can't see it. Instead, they're so offended and so threatened by the actual Messiah that they want to kill him and kill the guy he just raised from the dead to cover it up. That's also in the next chapter, the one we're not talking about today. But before we look down on the Pharisees too much, we have a bent to do the same thing, don't we? You know, when, when God isn't operating in a manner consistent with our plans. So this serves as a warning to us. Uh, let's guard ourselves continually. Seek the Holy Spirit for guidance not neglect our time in prayer, not neglect our time in the Word, and not neglect our time together, fellowship with one another, virus or no virus. Let's not get blinded by religion, by tradition, by programs, not even VBS. I mean, those are not bad things. They're good things, but keep first things first. Let's not get blinded to the work that God is doing and remember that we can't do it on our own. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. To close, I want to share something else I think about from time to time. And that was Wanda's late husband, 
Fred and, and his testimony during the Easter service, his last Easter with us. How many were here for that and remember that? Yeah, that's pretty powerful, right? Here's a guy, I mean, this is a, a man's man if there ever was one. Not a whole lot of words, but he knew he didn't have a whole lot of time left. He didn't have a whole opportunity, a lot of opportunity left. And here he is and standing in front of the whole church, giving a testimony. Tears running down his face. What did he say? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves over and over and over. You got one thing left to say. I only have X amount of time left. Let's get that nailed down. Jesus loves you. So that's what I want to end with. So if you can only walk out of here today with one thing, I hope it's that. God loves you personally. Remember that. Walk in that. Share that. You are loved. Okay, let's pray. Father God, you're so good. We are but wretched sinners. And you loved us anyway. Father God, help us to walk in just the knowledge that you love us. And let that just, that, that hope and that joy just overflow out of us wherever we go. Let us drown out the noise of the world and We're yours. You're in control. We know you're in control, and we know you love us. Help us to love other people the way you love us, other people, to love each other, to love you, to give the reverence that you're due. Gosh, we love you so much. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.